Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Going in Circles Big Monday Show. We have a special guest joining us today, Mark Paul, who is an author, wrote uh, a story about the greatest gambling story ever told. Uh, he'll be joining us and talking about the book a little bit, what it's based upon. Uh, so many older people, like us, will be... Uh, Try to bring back some memories, um, but we'll have him on and talk a little about, uh, he's a racing guy, so talk about his views and check it out. We'll talk uh, about, you know, the usual. We'll see you guys in about a minute and 30 seconds. Uh, Mr. Spears Jr. Yes, that is me. I'm I'm Barry Spears Jr. today. Okay. <laughs> I've been told in this world you can be whoever you want, and so. Yeah, that's what they tell. That's what Twitter tells me. That's what they tell you on Twitter. As long as Twitter knows, then it's it's the law. It's the, it's solid, right? The Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Everybody knows everything on Twitter. <laughs> they don't call it the Twitter verse for nothing. Yeah, it it really is an alternate reality. That is. I've seen uh, you've been duking it out on this holiday of Juneteenth. You know, it, it's just wild. It's like, you know, I I just don't understand the the point of view of some people, and it's it's just crazy to me. Some of some of the the, the absurd things that people would tweet at me on a day like today. It's just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear you. It's very strange to me that people complain that there's another holiday. Like, <laughs> if you work on that holiday, don't you get extra money? And don't a lot of people get the day off? I mean, I'm yeah. looking for the negatives here. Well, the negatives nobody wants to speak about. <laughs> because it's 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 not it's taboo you know yeah so and i get it um you know it, it's a work in progress of course but uh there's just some things you just shouldn't be out on social media saying about <laughs> about black people or even hinting well there's a lot of disrespectful people out there and yes yes social media gives them muscles yeah, because you can't touch him. Right. <laughs> you touch, you, you say that to somebody's face, you know, he might have some problems, but, um, no, you know, there's not just, that kind of party. There's just a lot of people that, uh, they just have no respect. I mean, it's, and it's not just this. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's like, I don't know why, but there's so much hatred out there mm. over nothing. Over over small things, and um, you know, a, a, these things bleed into everyone's lives eventually. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at uh, the situation in Florida with the uh, the immigration rules that the laws that they've they've passed <laughs> in the state of Florida, which are you know absolutely not in the best interests of the state of Florida, and it's you know being in the racing business 
we understand that there's just a lot of jobs that are hard jobs and mm-hmm. they're not particularly great paying jobs. Um, and it's tough to find help. And, you know, you've for, for no real good reason, we've decided that, well, we're against these people that are coming here to work. Um, and we're going to create laws that discriminate against them. And people say, well, they should be legal, blah, 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 blah. In the end, um, when you're standing in line to wait an extra half hour to get in a restaurant because they don't have any help, that affects you. Um, right. It, it's when, like a help me help you type of situation, you know, where the migrants and the people that come here looking for work and a better life and things like that. We have tough jobs that they can do, but it's a job and, and they're willing to do it. So like people in the horse racing industry are just about willing to take anybody to, to fill these positions because they need somebody to help them. Yeah, when you got to pay four dollars a, a pound for grapes, or oranges, Jeez. oranges are three dollars a piece, uh, because that uh, you know your buddy uh, Mike who who lives across the street and <laughs> you know, he, he's not going out in the fields and and, and doing that work, it's just the way it is, and it's uh, politics affect the brains of so many people and. It's yeah. It's really it's why I will not participate in the process. And anybody that has any problems with that, I will fight you. <laughs> fight me. I will fight you. I will physically fight you. Well, I don't. I don't blame you because it, it's just such an ugly thing at this point. And it, you know, nobody wants to be anywhere near politics. And it's just crazy to me how people. There's certain people. I don't. I don't know how you you see them or or what have you but it's it's like every move they make has something to do with you know uh democrats or republicans or conservatives and liberals or red versus blue like everything and i i just think that's just totally crazy to me how somebody the, the re- have the reason- that lens I, like i can't afford to think that way because i would never be able to hold a job or make money or do anything else it, it, it's just so compulsive it's it's crazy it, it's it's the reason we have clowns as politicians on a national level and they're clowns they're all clowns yeah i mean these people are clowns is because of people buying into the politics of it right and they're self-serving clowns, which is even worse. Of course, they're all, they're all. I mean, just... they're all quasi-criminals. <laughs> I mean, they do stuff in office that if you did in any other form of life, they would send the IRS or the FBI or whoever yeah. after you. I mean, it's 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 a total hypocrisy. The the you know we talk about the game of horse racing and how it's uh, falling apart in in a lot of ways. And it, it kind of mimics our society in that you can't even have discourse on, on topics anymore. Um, you can't even talk about uh, an issue without it being, oh, well, you know, this guy, blah, 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 and calling names and this and that. You know, it's, it's like 
look, look at the look at the two guys who ran that ran for president last time. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to if you were going to hire um, a CEO for a, a big corporation, you would never hire either of those two guys. You, they would walk in, they'd be like, "Well, a, they're too old, and b, one talks about himself, the other one, he doesn't even seem coherent." So, <laughs> like, you would never hire these people. You would say, well, "Listen, old guys, go to the beach before they have to do a weekend at Bernie's with you." And these are the people running the country. <laughs> yeah, like I, I that's that's one of the things I, I've I've said this before is like, you know what what kind of system do we have where those two guys are the best options and they both want to run for real one right. wants to, to and it's run like run again yeah. and the other guy wants to run for your election and they're they're in, no no offense but they're in their 80s that mm-hmm. old bat from california they, they about had the i guess she's still senator <laughs> right she, she doesn't even know where she's at and people vote for her yeah yeah, and it, it's it doesn't even matter about what their politics are. It matters that, that she's not even a, a a a coherent person at this point. Who wants eighty five year old people deciding your future if they're not Ray the bartender from Saratoga? He's yeah, the only eighty five year old that I know will be here in another twenty years. But it's just uh, you know it's just stupid. Yeah, it's, it's just like you know any any semblance of of common sense that this country may have had is definitely not there anymore it's it's like we jumped the shark it's just we're 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 cartoon land everything is just everything that happens ass backwards happens you know almost like in the racing industry it's like everything wrong any, any wrong decision that could be made does get made and it's like how you know does anybody use their heads at all and and it, it just kind of parallels what's going on in quote unquote real life where these decisions that are being made or things they're fighting over it just doesn't make any sense and that concludes our social commentary that's like the only time totally. I, I think that was the first and only and probably the last time <laughs> we'll do anything like that a little bit of a slow week. Yeah, it was. It I was. mean, we got Royal Ascot tomorrow. It kicks off that should tomorrow, be fun. Or might be today, if, if you're listening to this tomorrow. Which, you know, tomorrow from now, which is actually today. Today. It's always interesting. You're not confused by by that. Probably as confused as some of the uh, the touts that have suddenly become experts in, in uh, English racing. and European form. Yes, they, 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 they're going <laughs> to duke it out over... I uh, saw somebody call one a gorilla. Let me yeah. check my notes. Yeah, gorilla. Yeah, gorilla. in a seventeen-horse field. Uh, I believe it's twenty-two. Twenty-two. My, my bad. You know the interesting <laughs> thing is that same person who called the horse a gorilla was crying uh, a week ago because my God, they're running two-year-olds at Keeneland in April and blah 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 blah, <laughs> and now he's calling horses a gorilla in a two-year-old race, uh, June twentieth. With I think three or four of the horses in the race having three races already under their belt. Do you think they started uh, May twenty fourth? <laughs> so it's okay in England. It's okay over there. 
I don't know that we, we could if, if we tried to run a, a 22 horse two-year-old race in this country I, I don't think you know and, and this is a lot bigger country than England and I don't think we could get 10 we, we run two-year-old stakes over here and we get four <laughs> but no, we're ruining four. all our two-year-olds by racing them to Keeneland or today's today's uh, um, debate <laughs> over Jose Ortiz. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me just reiterate my stance on jockeys. There's really good ones. There's decent ones, and there's everybody else. I think a lot of the guys, some people think are good ones, are actually everybody else. Everybody else. <laughs> but remember one thing about the athletic prowess in the game of horse racing. The athletes that really count have four legs. <laughs> have four legs. You could put Willie Shoemaker on a donkey and it's still going to finish up the track because it's a donkey. It doesn't matter how great the rider is. All right. He could take the shortest path to the wire and still lose. Right. Like Ron Turcott shouldn't get a whole lot of credit for Secretariat's win in the Belmont. I mean, you know, Ron literally, Turcott, but I mean, there's sometimes when, when people get credit for things that they just, uh, I mean, it is what it is. But um, the one thing as a better that you really have to avoid is jockey love. I'm not yeah. just saying that because I divorced the jockey. <laughs> yeah, but... you don't want jockey love. <laughs> not that kind. <laughs> That's the wrong kind. But, you know, you have to avoid falling in love with the jockey. I mean... You're better off falling in hate with a jockey where you just don't use kind of like Steve Smith, the Meadowlands and me. No yeah. Steve Smith's for me. <laughs> on the banned substance. Just, list. just ever. He's, he's on the, the, the I'll he have to win. be on a banned substance to be, honest. you know, I get it. Cause he doesn't win. No. So it's like, and when he does win though, it usually is pretty good price. But the fact of the matter is like, it's like you've said many times that the horses is we're betting horses and there are, I mean, I rat for one, his horses take more money because he's riding. them. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's other jockeys at other tracks that happens, but I rat would be probably the, the, the number the best one example. Case, don't you say? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the best example, but uh, you know, jockeys are an important part of the process. However, if you want to get the proper odds on horses, then the top two or three guys are not the guys you want to be focusing on because you're going to be taking underlays all the time. It's bad enough that you know that the the computer teams bang us out at the end. But I, I, well, that, uh, that's that's kind of the way I kind of approach things sometimes is I'd rather see a nondescript jockey on a horse because I know they're probably not going to get bet. 
And if the horse stands a good chance, I'd rather a horse that's not going to be bad. <laughs> you know, you know, I'd rather an overlay. I agree. Um, I mean, I mean yeah. it comes with the sometimes, price. You know, you, you get what you pay for sometimes. Yes. But, you know, in some instances, I'm willing to gamble on that, especially, you know, nowadays with these short fields. It's not much to overcome. And you have to handicap the jockey, too. I mean, if if you have a horse that that needs to be handled aggressively and our our guy LaPoopoo's on, I mean, just rip. it's not going to happen. Right. That's just not possible. (laughs) Who's the first sprinter at Keeneland? The horse who went 20 and four to the quarter or something. And Le Peru gets on him and he's sitting fifth. Couple of times, <laughs> it's just not. It's, it's just not the way he rides. I mean, you know, it's, and and honestly, if you're you're a trainer and, and that's the guy you're putting on your horse that wants to be on the lead, that might not be the best yeah. You got to reevaluate those those uh, right. those rankings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You might want to sure. get like uh, Edwin Maldonado on your horse or Candy Maldonado, Jaramillo. Somebody that you know is going to the lead, like Ray Lou, somebody like that, that you know, that's their the, strong suit. The modern day early fires. <laughs> Ray Lou. Early fires, he would have tried to, to get to the lead on Turkoman, man. That guy, he just wanted the lead. I respect that. Because yeah, that's, I mean, that's you, how you I knew. would be. You knew if there was a question in a race about the pace, <laughs> he, he would usually end it. And, you know, it didn't always work out, but he won a, I think he won like 5,000 races. I was going to say, he won a lot of races, man. <laughs> I remember when, you know, when I was a kid, people talking about him winning races. Yeah, he was Midwest. old. Yeah, he was definitely old by then. Well, one of the things that this skewed the jockeys' uh, standings is the big outfits. Uh, <laughs> you know, you used to see it looked like there was more depth in the jockey colonies, especially on the coasts, uh, the West coast and East coast. But uh, a big part of that is just the horses were spread out more. Right. They were and using different jockeys all the yes, time. Different, different outfits use different jockeys. Now all the, the horses are, are, are centered in, in four or five barns and agents having two guys um, you know that these there's there's only four or five guys riding for them, and because of that, the guys who are six through ten have no chance. Right, they get never it. get those mounts. Never, no. no, unless one of those guys gets hurt or leaves the the circuit. Um, you know, Louis Saez going to Kentucky has opened up a lot of live mounts in New York. Um, but it's. You know, like we said, the, the the talent, the athletic talent of the horse is far greater, far more important than the athletic talent of the jockey. Because, um, you know, good jockeys can't win on bad horses. Well, that's why I call it the steer instead of a ride. Because, you know, in effect, they're steering the horse <laughs> to victory. You know, I, I I like to say steer, but you know it might be frowned upon. Yeah, 
Steer makes me think of steak. <laughs> How about drive? You know, we get the crossover from the harness. Drive. Drove that horse very well. That was a wild accident on. Uh, oh my God, on Saturday. At Woodbine in the open. Well, not the open. Uh, what was the metal? The metal arts. The Woodbine Cup or something for older horses? Yeah. That shit was crazy, man. Man. Uh, I, I noticed they did not. The Woodbine Replays does not have that race up. I guess they're uh, following along in their thoroughbred brethren. Cannot have anything controversial. Um, though I, I have yet to hear about anyone. Uh, Any injuries? I haven't heard anything. No, everybody was okay. <clears throat> well, that's good. Uh, you know, people, people might protest. <laughs> they might. They might. I saw the draw. The draw. They drew the Ohio Derby. It's actually a, a not bad race. A pretty, for, pretty for, decent race. Uh, yeah. Um, it seems like it's uh, two fills. Um. Oh well, yeah, he, I mean, if two fills like run anywhere lead. close to his derby, he should lay over that field. But yeah, eight horse field. Um, obviously, I mean, they they're you read the 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 hype machines and they talk about Lord Miles, but he has no chance. Um, <laughs> I think the two fills main competition in that race would probably be uh, Bishop's Bay. Who would finish second to Archangelo in the Peter Pan? Um, so he's to me the, the the horse to beat in there, obviously outside of of uh, two fills. Um, two fills using this as a as a prep for the Haskell. So uh, be interesting to see the how how he performs. Um, the baby Pegasus was was last weekend uh, at uh, at Mammoth and <laughs> Kings Barnes was the huge favorite um, coming out of a pretty dismal race in the. Uh, In the Kentucky Derby, he, he really, I mean, he was caught up chasing a super fast pace. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think he certainly was, was, uh, was over bet. But, I mean, he really didn't have much excuse. None. Uh, <laughs> None. I mean, he got a good trip. He, he was a little wide. If you wanted to nitpick a little bit, he, he was three wide in the first turn, and um, it's two wide in the second turn. But but he really didn't have any excuse. Salute the stars, just just ran him down. Yeah, he just he just outgamed him, and he did not have a good trip. Really, salute the stars was very rank. Um, yeah, it, he he was up front, then he pulled him back, and then went around. It wasn't yeah. a real trip, but he got it done. Yeah, he, he was he was fighting, um, 
he was fighting Rosario down the backside and he did a good job getting him, you know, getting him settled somewhat and still reserving enough, uh, enough horse to, to be able to run him down late. I mean, honestly, on the turn, he didn't really look like he was. No, he didn't look like a winner at all. He, he like, was kind of, you know, like running in place. And and then the last uh, maybe 100 yards, he, he closed with determination. Yeah, the, I mean, the horse on the lead ran, ran a bang-up race, though. I mean, Brad Cox has a, a, a seemingly never-ending list of, of three-year-olds. Um, you know, the one thing about him, though, is that they don't seem to, for the most part, they, they seem to run a couple good races and then tail off, uh, which is, is kind of what Cyber did. Their Cyber. Cyber. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what he did. Cyberknife did last year. Remember, he, he ran really good uh, in the summertime, and then he finished, what, third in the Pennsylvania Derby? Mm-hmm. Not much excuse. And then he ran. Uh, he lost. In the. You know, to Cody's wish at a mile, which was actually, you know, no, he no ran shit. a good race that day. He just got right. a better horse. Um, and then, you know, you ran into Pegasus and didn't do anything, but, um, like literally did not do a thing that day. But, you know, he, he's had a ton of horses come through the ranks and they just haven't, uh, it just, they just haven't, um, it seems like they don't hold form for all that. No. Like you said, they'll they'll pop a good race, maybe another one, and then they they kind of, eh, you know, kind of don't show up. It's it's weird for for him having the the stock that he has. You would think, you know, with the spacing that he gives his horses, that they would run better, you know, for a longer period of time, or at least give their best effort when they are on the track, and and they don't seem to do that every time just periodically yeah for sure oh what was that other horse that won an aqueduct the other the other gorilla hit show no um let's see what's the name danger the, the horse that ran against um nobody yeah he ran against um donegal croopy donegal Oh, the horse, uh, the Donegal horse that won the maiden. Uh, Belmont the other day. Everyone's everyone's Travers horse, the maiden that broke his the the horse that broke his maiden on Saturday. Yeah. Belmont. Yes, the Donegal horse. I mean, he ran okay. Yeah. Uh, hey, I didn't think he ran terrible. I mean, <laughs> but I he ran that great either. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't really get the fawning over that. Um, I mean, let. It, it's June. Horses that run eighty nine buyers are nice horses, but it's June. <laughs> this is this is June of his three year old year, and it wasn't a good field. And, uh, not only wasn't a good field, he had a little bit of overrated trouble in the beginning as the jock lost the stirrup, but he broke with the field and 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 got good position right away. So I really didn't see that as being much of a, a detriment to his, his race and. Um, I mean, they went pretty quick in front of him, and he, he seemed like he, you know, got a got a nice a nice trip, and he did draw away. And he certainly doesn't look like. Um, I mean, it wasn't like he was was holding on or anything, but 
I, I, I just, I didn't see the light, the race live. And I saw some of the, you know, the uh, action, <laughs> the, the accolades. And, and I, I dialed like, back to go see the race. And I mean, I thought he ran good. <laughs> right. He won. I, I just didn't see, uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't see, uh, you know, a horse that's going to be headed directly to stakes competition, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought he was a little bit dressed up, to be honest. You know, he, he's one of those kind of horses that I like to fade in their next start. Yeah, right. I mean, he really, I mean, I, I was thinking that he like stumbled at the start or something, but it, it really didn't seem to be anything that, that affected him at all. Yeah, it wasn't consequential. Like, it's not like he, he, he broke bad and, you know, went to his knees and didn't break with the field, but that's a testament to his athleticism um that he recovered quick and and was with the field i mean it was like it didn't even happen i mean i guess if there's anything to grab onto that would be it you know the rest of the race was rather quote-unquote ordinary i mean you know they ran quick up front he sat a good trip ran him down did what he's supposed to do yeah pretty much that's did did what he's supposed to do. Did what he's supposed to do. All right, we are actually going to have a guest tonight. All right, we are. Uh, we're going to have a guest as soon as I figure out how to how to add him. How to, <laughs> how to send him a link. It's uh, it's not always easy being me producing the show because uh, I don't know what I'm doing. See, when you say that, I always, like, in my mind, think of you as, like, you know, a DJ at a, at a rap concert. I'm not DJ Jazzy Jeff. See? Ruined it. I'm just, <laughs> just not that good. He's the DJ. I'm the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Can't give him the same link. I don't know. I'm trying to find this number. Um, actually, we should we should pause. We should tell people who it is. Yeah, that would help. Yeah, including me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Mark Paul. Mark Paul. Oh yeah, our guy. I don't think he's related to Sean Paul, the rapper. Oh, that's um, he wrote a book called "The Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told." That I, I'm pretty sure you're, uh, you have right. I do. I have that book, and it's a great book. Really interesting story. Just almost an unbelievable story that's true. Um, yeah, Mark Paul, good, good, good dude. We just yeah, got to get him on. We're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we just got to figure out how to get it on. Uh, yeah, we're gonna let him talk about uh, about the book and about about the greatest stories ever told. And you know, he's yeah. got some he's got some views on on racing. He's a racing guy, and uh, yeah, I'd like to hear that. I mean, you know, it's not every day we get authors on our show that want to want to talk horse racing. No, we do not. 
And we don't have guests very often, mostly because I can't figure out how to link them in. <laughs> <laughs> you usually get it. I mean, yeah, sometimes. sometimes I do get JB on here in a heartbeat. And who else do we had? Uh, well, we had uh, we had our guys, uh, Sid, Sid Fernando, the one and only King Sid. I bet one race of Finger Lakes today. What? Yeah. Is that was that pops influenced? No, it was. I was bored, and it was in front of you. So it's like, might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. Yeah. Did it? Did you win? I did not. Oh, boo! Should should have tweeted at uh Tony Kalo. You would have gave me the winner. Guy's money. That I should have. You're right. I, I tried to, to do my own handicapping. It just didn't work out. I wouldn't even know where to begin with Finger Lakes, to be honest with you. Although I, I'd like to think that, like with most tracks, speed does well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speed does well, the the difficult part is is trying to figure out figure out who's gonna who the speed's gonna be <laughs> because the speed isn't always the speed. All right, look, at Mark, are you there? Look hey, you. Charles and Barry, how hey. are you guys? What's happening, man? We we were about 50-50 thinking the link went through because uh, my skills as a producer are are poor, <laughs> and and I think they're getting worse to be honest with you. But, uh, <laughs> Um, I've I've been on I've been on thirty podcasts, and I got to tell you, I about half the time I've forgotten to record them. I've screwed it up plenty of times. Oh man! Hey, well, we are glad to have you on, and we gave you about a a twelve second inter, um, preview. Um, so what we're going to do is leave it up to you to tell everybody um, who Mark Paul is and uh, why they call you Miami. And okay. talk a little about about your book, uh, the greatest gambling story ever told. Will do, and then save me a little time to rag on horse racing at the end. <laughs> oh no, no, we we have. Oh yeah, absolutely, time for that. <laughs> I've I've got I've got. I don't know if you ever listened to Bill Simmons, but I have some half baked ideas to save horse racing. Okay, they're they're only half baked. They're not they don't, they're not fully formed yet. As hey, it's better than what we have right themselves. now. So you know, any idea is a good <clears> idea. Okay. Just about. I, I can't say every idea, but most of them. <laughs> awesome. So, so shoot, man, go on. Uh-oh. Oh, we lost you, you hung up on him. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> I can't believe we lost him. You hung up on him. Oh, man. He was about to go, too. I saw him. He was on the starting blocks. Like He was, he was ready to roll. That, go. And somehow I lost him. And even worse, I lost his number. Oh. It's amazing um, how bad I am at doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Could be worse, trust me. Yeah. Filibuster here, Barry. Filibuster. 
Phil is a buster. So there's that. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> oh, man. That Joe Rogan doesn't have this problem. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. You know, I I got I got to tell you, I've I've listened to Joe Rogan uh, approximately zero times. <laughs> All right. Oh, he's back. Hello. I'm back. I don't know what happened, guys. I don't know either. But we got. Right. It. <laughs> but we'll do it. We're back. We're good. Go, guys. <laughs> well, if I if I All really good. knew how to produce this, I, I would just have cut that out and, and made it into a a commercial. But uh, since I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> We're gonna leave you up to uh, leave it up to you to explain. Uh, we'll do who you are and, and what you do. Sounds good. All right, guys. It's uh, Mark Paul. Thanks for having me on, uh, Chuck and Beer. I really appreciate it. Um, I was crazy enough to write a book on horse racing, and it was my first book I've ever done. And shockingly, it turned into a really, really bestseller. I've sold nearly 50,000 copies of this book on horse racing. Wow. So maybe somebody <laughs> it's kind of surprising. Uh, I think one of the reasons is, is that it, it's, it's, it's a story that it's a true story that happened in 1988. Uh, and it works on a lot of different levels. And one thing the book crossed over kind of like a country hit, you know, if you have a country song, and then it goes onto the pop charts, and then it really takes off. That's kind of what happened to my book is that it was you know, a, a book about horse racing and a book about mm-hmm. gambling, but it also has a very big true crime element. And once I crossed over into the true crime aspects and, and marketing at Amazon and the like, the book really, really took off. And I actually have a producer who's uh, commissioned a script for it, and I'm supposed to get the script any day. So oh, wow. who knows? Yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of exciting. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a great story to, to definitely that in a way does would be cool to see it, you know, on the big screen. It would. I kind of wrote it that way. Anyway, it's a true story. So, and, and for, you know, I'm sure you have dedicated horse racing audience. That's probably 98 percent of your audience here in in 1987 and then into 1988. There was this spectacular filly named Willing, Winning Colors. And she was winning all the Philly races by, you know, six lengths and eight lengths, eased up, and she was dominant. And <clears throat> uh, a few gamblers down in, in California uh, watched her race um, from Saratoga, her first race. And then when she came to Santa Anita, we were at the track. We saw her run, and I really just – she just took my breath away. She, first of all, she looked like she was a four-year-old Cole, you know, a, a full-grown stallion, not like a like a filly. She was huge, and she was owned by Eugene Klein, who owned a lot of phenomenal racehorses. But he also was famous for having owned the Seattle SuperSonics, and at the time, he still owned uh, the San Diego Chargers NFL team. And we saw Mr. Klein on an interview, and they they asked him. He said, "Mr. Klein, you own these great racehorses." And you also um, uh, own a, a pro football team. If you could win the Super Bowl or you could win the Kentucky Derby, what would you take? And he says, oh, my God, that's easy. I would take the Derby. There's, 
at the time, 28 football teams. One of us will win the win the Super Bowl, but there's 40,000 thoroughbreds at the time being born every year, and only one can win the Derby. I would take the Derby. And then about three weeks later, we hear that Mr. Klein has had his second heart attack. Mm. And, and my buddy Dino says, this is a billionaire. He owns a, you know, a football team. His dream is to win the Derby. He might put this filly in against the Colts and you know who his trainer is. And I go, yeah, Lucas. Lucas <laughs> is, yeah, Lucas is one of the few guys that would put Phillies up against uh, Colts all the time and had already done it in the Derby unsuccessfully, you know, a number of times. So crazy, stupid gamblers that we were, um, we start shopping around to find out, okay, it's five, six months before the Derby. What odds can we get on her? And we find out she's 12 to one in Vegas. We go, that's, man, that's really low. But we hear, and we, and we live in LA, we hear that she's 50 to one in Agua Caliente, a little racetrack in Tijuana, Mexico, over the border. And the next thing, crazy bastards that we are, we're in the car. <laughs> and, and we had a buddy of ours, wasn't a good friend, but I knew of him. And he, also, um, he had recently won a pretty big pick six at Hollywood Park. So we wind up betting $25,000 to win on this filly in Agua Caliente, Tijuana in 1988, six months before the race. And of course, at the time, a filly had only won the Kentucky Derby twice in 114 years. By the way, it hasn't happened since. Um, and, you know, we think, well, she'll probably never even get into the field, you know, into the gate. She says to keep winning. She has to win the San Ana Derby in order to get in. Uh, but, you know, she keeps advancing and advancing. And we're thinking, my God, this might actually happen. But then we start hearing something really, really frightening. <laughs> uh, we find out that the owner of the racetrack is an alleged member of the Felix Ariano drug cartel. Uh, and we start doing some research and we find out, yes, um, uh, the racetrack's owner, Carlos Ron, is his father is the governor of Mexico. And for those of you that watch, you guys ever watch Netflix, uh, the Narcos on Netflix? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the guy that's featured in, in the last episode there or the, the whole the whole last season is the governor of Mexico. His son owns the racetrack and these are very scary guys. <laughs> and there, <laughs> there, and there's uh, a famous journalist down in Tijuana who's writing articles about the racetrack and the racetrack's owner. And we find out a month before the Derby, the journalists, they shoot up his offices with machine guns. Really? He served, yeah. He survives, he survives the machine gun attack. Um, and he keeps writing negative articles about the owner of the racetrack. And um, a week before the Kentucky Derby, the, race, the uh, journalist who's writing the negative articles is shotgunned to death in his car. And they arrest the head of racetrack security for the racetrack and the bodyguard for the owner of the racetrack. 
And we're going, oh, great. You know, <laughs> so if we win this bet, we have to collect a million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which was a lot of money in 1988. And we have to go to the friggin' Tijuana to collect it from the cartel members. Oh, boy. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what can go wrong here? Right. <laughs> so, you know, this is the story. And, it, you know, it's, it's a story about this magnificent filly who when she went into the San Nita Derby, which she, you know, obviously had to do well or, or Lucas wouldn't have put her into the Kentucky Derby. She goes against the Colts for the first time. And it's really funny how the newspapers, you know, get an idea or a story and they start saying, oh, this little filly is going against these giant Colts and she's, mm-hmm. you know, she's going she's gonna to get killed. And we're, and we're thinking, little filly? The fact is, this filly literally weighs 200 pounds more than any colt in the 1988 San Anita Derby. She goes in against him at five, five to two, and she wins the San Anita Derby by nine and a half lengths, just going away. So, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the whole story leading up to the Derby. But a lot of people would think, well, I know she wins the Derby because we're horse racing fans you know i don't need to read the book but i'm telling you that the book really is only 40 percent done when she crosses the finish line and wins the photo finish for the yeah, derby now this yeah. scratches the surface of, of what goes on but it's wild it's such a great story yeah and it's, uh, it talks about how these how these gamblers me being one of them um <laughs> had to go to tijuana and try to collect our money and <laughs> the story gets really, really interesting and, and damn frightening, uh, even for me to retell it. That's, that's a, it's actually brings up a lot of great memories. You know, um, Kieran McLaughlin said that, and I think he was Lucas's assistant at the time, uh, in California that before she broke her maiden, um, some of the guys, and the barn went to Caliente and got her at like 150 to one. To win That's the an absolute true story. The, yeah. the grooms and the, and the people in the barn uh, uh, had better at 200 to one, I think. Uh, and, you know, they, Lucas was saying, well, if we win the Derby, the barn will be closed tomorrow because nobody's <laughs> going to show up. They're going to be all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's interesting about her is, um, I mean, like you said, you pointed out the that she was so much bigger than everybody else was. Um, but she was also by by a horse named Caro, who was um, a, a European turf horse. And you almost wonder today, with racing today, if um, if she had gotten into a, a different barn. Obviously, Wayne uh, is always going to try him on the dirt first, but. You almost wonder if, if she'd have started out on the grass. Uh, back in 1987, we, we didn't have two-year-old turf, or turf maiden races. They didn't, they didn't really exist. Um, but, you know, she was, she was an interesting horse in that she just was big and fast. And, you know, people, they kind of pigeonhole horses. And, and often big horses are thought of as, as plotters or, or horses that don't have speed, but I mean, she was that that was her game speed and uh, oh. I mean it's funny because like you said she won the derby 
Uh, she she got run down in the Preakness because Woody Stevens was was pissed off because he didn't like Lucas and um yeah he did he took uh, well, I think it was Cordero he, Angel Cordero just rode this yeah rode the rode, 49 49 uh, yeah rode 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 the horse not <laughs> you know not to win is to make sure she didn't win yeah it was it was um it was crazy and then and then obviously she was involved in one of the great races in the history of American racing, which would be the personal ends and getting up to, to defeat winning colors in the Breeders' Cup, uh, this staff. In the, yeah, in the following year. And I actually think, I think that that was her greatest race. She didn't win the race, and I think it was her greatest run of all time. It, if, you, if you get a chance to watch that on YouTube, it's just amazing, the 1989 Distaff with her against the undefeated personal ensign. Still don't know how she lost. Like, it, <laughs> like I've, I've watched that replay a million times, and I'm just still amazed at how you know personal ensign just got up. It was uh, one of the greatest races in, in in horse racing history. You know, Randy Romero won that race on the turn, and he saved ground on the <clears throat> turn with winning call or with uh, personal ensign. If he had swung her wide on the turn she never gets there but yep. he he saved ground and and he was a great rider man he was he was my friend he was everybody's friend i mean he was just the nicest guy you ever want to meet you know, um, gary gary stevens was an amazing rider too at the time gary's been really generous of his time and interviews with me and um i, I hope i can find a way to get him in the movie now that he was a movie star in seabiscuit already <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might have a hard time getting them in the saddle, though. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, unlike you and me, Chuck. <laughs> We're all a little bit heavier than we used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want, if you need me to be a cast as an extra, as like a railbird. Yep. I can play that role very well. Well, I, I hope that happens. I, I really do. Uh, <clears throat> I actually, the, the, I actually got the book option. I, I live, I live in LA. So where I live, you can't walk down the street without running into an agent or an actor. Huh. Uh, and the my book actually got optioned even before it got published by some pretty well-known uh, producer types. And then COVID came and it kind of fell apart. And but I was really happy that recently a pretty well-known producer kind of fell in love with the project and, you know, keep your fingers crossed. I mean, we could use a, a great story. And of course this story, you know, it's winning colors is the star of, of the book for sure. But, you know, this story about having you know, to go to Mexico and, you know, trying to collect from the cartel and, and there's a lot of things to it. That I think Hollywood, would maybe grab on to in addition to just the horse racing. And I was thinking that maybe, you know, with all the bad publicity with the deaths at Santa Anita and Churchill and Belmont, you know, maybe that would kill the idea of getting a movie made. But then I started thinking maybe it's the opposite. I mean, Hollywood loves, you know, you know, controversy and stories and things in the news. And unfortunately we're in the news for the wrong reasons, but maybe it'll help not hurt. I don't know. You know, it's funny that that horse racing and boxing, two sports that are, are constantly 
um, you know, called dying sports or, or worse, they, they, there's an awful lot of movies about those sports. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I mean, it's, it's funny, but, uh, there's every couple of years, boxing gets a, a, a good, um, you know, a big movie made about it, not even counting, um, like Creed and, and all the Rocky movies and, and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, racing is, is got a, it's always had a good backdrop as, as a place that has characters. And, and I think like Barry, and I talk about this all the time. It's a social game. And, and one of the things that really we miss a lot, uh, in the day-to-day racing is we just don't have crowds anymore. And it's gotten to be, uh, you go to the track and there's just not that many people there. And, you know, simulcast wagering and ADWs are, are part of the modern world because we're a world of convenience now. Uh, and it has to be that way. We can't force people to go to the racetrack to bet because it's just, they're not going to do it. And you'd be obviously limiting your audience uh, greatly, but. Uh, you know that that's one of the great things about racing is is um, the cast of characters that that you you run into on the backside and on the front side, uh, and when you go to a track these days, a lot of days there just aren't that many people there, which which kind of uh, you know it kind of sucks. It does, you know. Uh, you know, Barry and Chuck. The reason I listen, <laughs> I listen to your podcast religiously, and is because you guys don't just talk about, you know, you know, who's going to win the pick five this coming Saturday, whatever you guys love racing and you really just discuss all of the problems. And um, I have, I've written a lot about this. I've written some good articles. I I have a, 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 an author website and on it, I've written blogs about what I think the problems with racing are and come up with maybe some potential solutions. It's, it's markpaulauthor.com, markpaulauthor.com. You might like those uh, articles, but I've owned 40 interests in 49 racehorses. Mostly I've been buying into partnerships and the like over the last 20 years, because it's just too expensive to do on your own anymore. I've done a lot of investment. Uh, with with Eclipse because they were my my neighbors lived down the street, but <clears throat> I, I'm at a point I don't I did I own two now, and I don't think I'll ever buy a horse again. And why is that? And it's because what you just said, Chuck, is that the there's nobody at the races. You know, I used to like to own, you know, my six percent of a horse or whatever because. It was an event. You could go there and you could bring your friends and get a table at the turf club um, and people would be excited and you could take them to the paddock and, and it was still exciting reason to be at the races. Well, now, first of all, when I have a horse, I can't even get my horses in the damn races because they don't fill. Mm-hmm. I've, had horses, I've had horses literally for weeks and weeks. The trainer, yeah, he's on edge. He's ready to go. We can't wait. The horses, the races never fill and they ship them up to Golden golden gate and i have to watch them race on uh the synthetic track up there which i hate um just because they can't get into a race down here in santa anita but this is a a vicious vicious cycle when 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 simulcasting came out i defended it i said this is the greatest thing ever 
because people would complain and I go, why are you complaining? The racetrack's still open. Now you can go, you can still go. It, it's just not crowded. But what happened is that now, I mean, I used to want to go because it was exciting and it was an event and they were, you know, good looking women wearing hats and <laughs> pretty dresses and, and it was an event. Now, when I go, um, you know, I'm the youngest person there and I've been going to the track for 45 years. Uh, nobody's there. And when I tell my friends, like at my golf club, hey, I'm, I got a horse running. You want to come out with me? They look at me. Oh, yeah, the track. That's where all the horses die, right? Oh. You know, it's just in, in, I don't want to go and be an owner anymore because there's nobody at the track. There's, there's no energy other than the few big days a year. And that's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah, that's one of the things that, <clears throat> you know, I hear from people quite often is that, <clears throat> especially those that have been around the game for, you know, uh, a good while, they always say it's not as fun as it used to be. And that kind of stands out, even in, in what you're saying, you know, you didn't say that exactly, but along those lines, you know, on top of other things, um, it's definitely a problem you know and and it's just it's just too bad that the tracks don't feel the sense of urgency that we might yeah well one of the things that, that mark said is is so true in regards to ownership and i hear this from trainers and owners more than anything else is that they can't get their horses in races and they wind up running in races that don't suit them just because they want to run and they don't want to sit out three months. Um, it, it's, it's, you remember I, I had the one, uh, the, the one Philly, um, and she really wanted to go long on the dirt. Oh yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I couldn't find any races to go long on the dirt with her. Uh, she was by who she, she was by, um, the horse that Tim ice trained. Remember to train the horse that won the, did he win the Belmont? I can't remember. Icebox, anyway, though, right? Um, not Icebox. Ice that was Zito. Some... That was Zito. Something. Tim Ice was the trainer. I don't even know where the hell that guy went to. He kind of disappeared. The, the, the moral of the story is that she was a filly that was bred to go long on the dirt. And I could never get her in. She, she ran for three years. She get, never got in a two-turn dirt race. Uh, she won a stake going a mile. We won a stake at Goldstream with her. Um, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the Met Mile, that's for sure, but she wound up breaking her maiden on the turf going to Summer the Bird. Summer Bird, that's right, that's right. Uh, Killer Bird was her name, yes, Killer Bird. And uh, she wound up running, um, you know, I, I had to run her on the turf to get her two turn race. Uh, and, and of course, as soon as um, she won the stake. She got hurt, of course, naturally. But um, well, it's just you know, like it, it's so the the frustration level of of not being able to do what the horse really wanted to do, because even if the races are in the in the condition book, and that that's always kind of the the mirage, right? The race is yeah. in the condition book, <laughs> but it doesn't fill. And and I've argued racing secretaries for a decade: if a race doesn't fill. 
two or three consecutive books, take it out and use it as, as an extra if you get people asking for it. But when you have races in the condition book that never go, there's always going to be a guy putting in there, hoping that it goes and skipping another race, hoping that it'll go. And and it's, uh, you know, it's Santa Anita, especially in the West Coast. You guys don't have many options anymore. Uh, you know, yeah. you have Golden Gate, which is not really a great option when it's running and essentially nothing else wherever you know you're racing at del mar or la salle or santa anita you don't have any other options you're on an island so if the race doesn't go you're done yeah can you answer a question for me i don't understand something yes i'm in i'm in california santa anita is owned by stronic Gulfstream is owned by stronic every time i look up here we have a five horse field and then i look down at Gulfstream, and they have you know 12 races with you know 11 12 13 horses in them the weather what the weather's not good enough in california but it's better in florida why are those races full in san Anita's empty i think the biggest problem that that the southern california has is it's just too expensive the cost of doing business (laughs) like you you can't have cheap horses there because it's too expensive you can train a horse a lot cheaper in the East Coast, especially in Florida. Not not cheap anymore, but um, not nearly what it costs in Southern California. So it just doesn't make sense to, to spend $5,000 a month to train a horse that's running for 12000 yeah, So, you know, crazy. if you look at the Gulfstream cards these days, you mostly have two-year-old races and cheap races. Uh, and even their their fields are, are not what they were because they don't have turf anymore. Um, you know, their 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 twelve horse turf fields have, have now shrunk to seven and eight horse uh, synthetic races. Synthetic races. Yeah. Um, but the 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 cost it's just cost prohibitive in Southern California to have a, a horse that that's you know worth less than twenty five thousand. Yeah. Right, and that's why that's that's how the ripple effect is seen. You know. It starts there, but then you go to the next step. There's not many horses out there. People, well, it's left. like when when you look at the fairs, right? The fair circuit used to get overflow fields. Oh man, they used to be. But the good big soon. The big reason that they don't anymore is because they don't have anywhere to stable. Because most of the fairs are closed, and it's expensive to stable at Golden Gate. So when guys can't. Um, train your horses somewhere outside of uh, of Golden Gate, they just get rid of them because it's just too expensive to, to train them. And and that's that's a problem that that uh, hasn't affected the East Coast as much because there's still a lot of horses at racetracks. Uh, I mean, Barry and I have talked about this, again, a bunch of times. One of the fallacies of, oh, well, if we close a track – and we consolidate their horses into uh, another tracks, you know, they'll have more horses. And it's just not true because uh, if track a closes track B still only has 1200 stalls. So if track B stalls are mostly full and track a closes, well, some of the better horses from track a will migrate to track B, but they're just going to replace horses at track B. So, you know, you have a barn uh, of, of horses and, and, you can have the, uh, the ability to, to get a couple better horses than what you have. Well, you're going to take them 
and you're just going to replace your your less you know your your yeah. least talented horses. You're not going to just be able to conjure up an extra five stalls. Yeah. The barn. Well, let me. Nice. Well, let me rail on horse racing just for a minute, Martin. By the way, I I'm not your average like guy that's like, you know wants to criticize horse racing. I love horse racing. I think it is the greatest game in the world to be outdoors and to see the horses and the silts and the jockeys and to compare that gambling to sitting like in a poker room with a bunch of unwashed guys for nine hours. <laughs> There's, it's just the greatest game in the world. And you see that like when I, when I watched the Belmont on TV and I thought, oh, I feel like, Oh man, racing still alive. But think about it from a guy like me. So like, I, I mean, I've owned 49 interests in 49 racehorses. I've written the, uh, the best-selling book in horse racing for the last three and a half years. I was really looking as I get closer to retirement or summer retirement now of going to the track and retiring, but there's nobody there. It's boring. And then my next big thing, and it's really affecting things, is this a computer-assisted wagering. So let me get this right. <clears throat> I'm supposed to go to the track. There's nobody there. It's boring. And now, instead of making a bet on a football game for legal sports wagering where I can pay a 5% commission, I'm supposed to pay 23.8% for a trifecta takeout or 22.3% for an exacta takeout. Um, and then not only that, when I do it, I know that the computer boys who have spent a ton of money and come up with their systems and their betting, but they're getting rebates so that their actual uh, amount that they're paying in VIG is 10%. I got to go head to head with these guys, pay my 23% when they're only paying 10% with all the resources, all the resources they have. I go, why in the hell am I going to do this? F it. I'm just going to go bet $200 in the football game, have a beer and I'm done with it. That's how I feel now. That's how a lot of people feel. You know, you're not the only one. I see it almost daily. People say almost exactly the same thing. Why would I go to the track to get my head kicked in by these computer-assisted wagering teams when I could just go and bet, you know, the uh, the NFL game or MLB game that night and uh, yeah, yeah. Hang they out? don't realize. Uh, I actually work for my son now. Who owns a a, a social media. Uh, sports gambling and, and sports company. And people don't realize when PAPSA passed five years ago, and now we can have legal sports gambling everywhere, people better understand what that is, the competition, the thousand pound gorilla that horse racing was up against. Everybody is born, or I should say, all guys think we know about sports, right? Because we played, you know, JV basketball, when we were in junior high, we know about the NBA and we know about NFL because we played flag football one time. You know, they don't have to buy a form. They don't have to invest time. And it's so easy. And the fact is, particularly if they're just not betting like five team parlays, they're going to cash in the straight bet 50% of the time and pay a 5% VIG. They're, they're always in the game. They're getting their money back. They're having some success. And 
people don't realize that horse racing is driven monetarily, financially by gambling, but we're doing everything possible with allowing these, uh, you know, huge syndicates that are getting tremendous rebates to go head to head and just bleed us out. And I'm pretty much done with it. And I love horse racing. I'm trying to find a reason to go and I'm, I'm struggling to find them anymore other than the big days. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to log in and, you know, and, and, and see the big days or go to the, you know, the, the breeder's cup days and that, but other than that, it's, we're going to kill ourselves. And if we think, if we think that, that the, that the tracks that are kept alive because of the racinos, it's just a matter of time that that money goes away. They're going to get tired of, of financing horse racing and, and, you know, taking a percentage of their take that's going to go away. So, you know, you know what, Mark, you're, you're, you're echoing the sentiments that we've been speaking about for a couple of years. Um, I mean, I've gotten into debates with various members of the uh, the racing establishment about pretending that uh, teaming up with sports gambling companies is a good idea. Uh, I don't think it is. I think long term that they're just coming in to uh, eat up our customers, basically. Yeah, just just take them, turn them, and turn them over to them. So, so here's my solution. I, I, I told you I have half-baked ideas. Bill Simmons' podcast, he always says, we have these half-baked ideas. It means that there's a seed of a really good idea, but they're not really thought out completely, so I admit that, okay? But what I think what we need to do, I go, okay, what is working in horse racing? Well, I'm only seeing really maybe three or four things that are working in horse racing. Number one, I see what's happening at Sha Tin in Hong Kong, and I go, Man, they run two days a week and they have unbelievable levels, they have full fields, unbelievable levels of gambling. They do an incredible job reporting on the health of the horses and making sure that, you know, if, if a horse wins at 12 to 1, they bring the uh, jockey and the trainer and the owner in for an inquiry to make sure there wasn't any shenanigans going on. They're doing everything they can to create trust in the gamblers. And they're doing great. So I say, wow, that's one thing that's doing well. The only other things that I see are doing well are the Triple Crown races, three races days a year, and the Breeders' Cup. And that's about it, other than the spa meetings. When you go down to Del Mar, it's like, oh, my God, there's people here. It's packed. There's beautiful women. <laughs> There's young people. It's a party. There's full fields. The owners are there. And the same things like that at Keeneland, the same things like that at Saratoga. So what I think what we should do is we should have only the spa meetings from a half-baked idea. And then we need to create one super track. One, we have one big ginormous racetrack where we take all our assets, we get the fields to be full, we make the purses three times what they are today, and I think it probably has to be at Churchill because the only place where PETA and all the wackadoos in California and the like that won't close <laughs> horse racing is going to be uh, racing as part of, you know, Kentucky's, uh, you know, it's just they love it there. They're, they're never going to get rid of horse racing in Kentucky. 
And the Derby does great because of Churchill. So fine, let's make that the one super track and we'll just run the other three uh, spa meetings and that's it. And you know what? I would log on Saturday and Sunday. Nobody's at the track anyway. I'd just as soon log on my TV if I had a 12 horse field. And, you know, and, and the last thing, you've got to lower the VIG. And I have an idea to lower the VIG. When you go to the track, what was the average amount somebody that would, would bet at the track? I think it was around 200 bucks, right, guys? Yeah, something like that, 200, 300 in that range. Okay, so whatever that number is, fine. Charge me every day that I bet. I have to bet 200 or $300, and you can charge me my full VIG because you got to pay, pay the trainers and the crews, and it's expensive to run a damn racetrack. But after I bet my two or $300, now, I want for that day, I want my VIG to be only 10%. And you let me do that and bet into a Sha Tin type like experience or a super track at Churchill and make my VIG only 10%. And you know what? I'll put $200,000 a year into those pools. But I'm sure as hell not doing it on a track with six horses at Santa Anita where I'm going against the computer assisted boys. So that's my half baked idea. You know, there's there's a lot of merit to the idea. Problem, of course, is in this country, um, everything is screwed up, and <laughs> there's no control. Um, Churchill Downs basically does what it wants to do, and you know they charge what they want to charge because they have that. You know, they they have the hammer, right? They've got the mm-hmm. Kentucky Derby. Uh, and that's something that everybody wants. No one wants to be shut out of the Kentucky Derby because, you know, you like it or not, every racetrack makes money off of that race. Every racetrack, um, one of their biggest days is Kentucky Derby Day. It's a, it's a, one of their biggest days is a day that they don't even host the races. Tracks all over the country, and Churchill knows that, and, and they squeeze them. And um, It's just such a tangled web in this in in the US where everything's interrelated but everybody's going in different directions and it's 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 kind of um, you know like you said how do you take the good the positives and accent them and and kind of mitigate the negatives well the biggest impediment we have is the racetracks themselves. <laughs> a lot of the racetracks, they just don't want to even be racetracks. If they didn't have no. to be racetracks, they wouldn't even be racetracks. Good. And, so and let them go. Let them go. They're going to a month ago. They're going to go anyway. You can't like, though. If you let why? those go, the, every track that, that goes, the smaller we get, the smaller our footprint gets, the less political power we have, the less jobs we can claim that we create. Well, they're going to go anyway. We're just delaying the inevitable. Yeah. I just don't know that, that we can... You know that, that it's it's just it's just everything is difficult. And remember, everything is done on it. Even with Heisa coming in, Heisa covers about a tenth of what needs to be covered, and that everything is still done on a state by state basis. Um, you know, talking about dates assigned, like you would look at the Mid Atlantic tracks. You look at Delaware, uh, the Maryland tracks, whichever one is going to survive. It looks like Pimlico, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> Parks, uh, Monmouth, uh, Colonial, and you say to yourself, 
this is an area ripe for a circuit, right? (laughs) You could have a nice circuit amongst those five tracks. But why, Barry? Nobody's going to go. And the the problem is, is that you can't even get those tracks not to run against each other. You can't even get those tracks not to run the races at the exact same time. And, and it's 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 a real it's just a huge quandary and, and it's why getting anything done is, is, is just so difficult. Uh, you know, Pat Cummings did a, um, a piece today. They put it out about the CAW wagers and um, used Delmar because he could get the information up until recently when uh, that genius Scott Cheney decided, oh, no. Elite 17, we can't, it's it's not private anymore. You know, it, it, it's just the most bizarre thinking. But, um, you know, Delmar is going to try to mitigate um, the CAW players in their win pools in their upcoming meet. And it's, it's kind of a strange way of doing it. They're going to, like, lower rebates the closer you get the post time. So... I mean, it might have some effect, but then we found out also that the wind pools are uh, about the smallest percentage of, of CAW money. And if you look at the odds changes, which is all CAWs, and consider that uh, the smallest percentage of their money is in wind, in the wind pool, think about the other pools yeah where where's the damage really being done that you're not really seeing because you know when, when they go down the backside they don't pull they don't flash the the uh you know the exact prices um but it's really where you're getting crushed and, and the multi-race wagers i mean those guys are are 40 percent of the handle on some of those i mean that's I, just you know i this is this is conspiracy Mark here talking that's too. The, I've noticed that's the track selling, yeah, selling their yeah. customers out. I've noticed something at small racetracks. Maybe this is coincidence. The 73 times that I've seen it, but it, whenever I see the favorites break on top, their odds get hammered. And when I see the favorites break slowly, their odds go up. Not, yeah. on, not at Belmont, not at Santa Anita, but at the small little racetracks that I just have in the background, I see it as I, I just see it all the time. It's just conspiracy, Mark. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't trust it. You might be wrong, but you might be right. I mean, we don't, you know, there's really no evidence to say either way, you know? So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they pass post. Just slightly. I'm talking about just, just, Two seconds, you know. Well, I mean, you know, gate opens and what happens? Right, you know, exactly. Boom. And you see, horses, I just notice it. Yeah, you, you see horses that that gain ground on the turn. Let's say that drop in odds. I've seen it. Um, so you know, nothing's off the table as far as that goes. So it's not so much a, as far fetched as you might think. And the industry does a terrible job in 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 terms of credibility and. That nobody believes anything anybody in this business says. I mean, they it, it's it's almost laughable um, the lack of credibility from virtually every corner, and that is a problem that that everyone uh, 
on the racing management and, and the regulation side just doesn't seem to understand that nobody believes them. Yeah. You know, that that's that's an issue because when they tell us, well, they can't, you can't get into the pools and this and that, we see all kinds of um, banks and government, uh, the Department of Defense and and huge companies and, and cities get hacked. And you're telling me that horse racing, which rarely has the best technology of, of anything, is immune to that? It, it just seems like... Yeah. like a, lot, a lot know, of smoke being blown. <laughs> I see why people would be skeptical. Because I gotta admit that I'm skeptical too. I mean, and people say, well, you know, sometimes they go down and they lose. Okay, if you let me bet at, at the quarter pole. I'm never losing, bro. I would lose. You would lose sometimes. I wouldn't you lose would, No, no, you would lose. You would lose. You would not be 100%. No, there's been plenty definitely of wouldn't be 100%. They look good at the top. I'd be close. You guys, you guys are greedy. Just let me bet three seconds <laughs> into the race. That's all I need. Let me see the break and my speed horse. That's all I need. But it's like, you know, what, what people give. Well, you know, that horse went when uh, that horse's odds went up. Well, they don't win every time. Of course. Not. You know, I mean, it is still a horse race. <clears throat> and you, even if, uh, I mean, how many horses have we seen at the eighth pole look like they can't lose and lose? Yeah. I mean, it well, still does happen. I'm not yeah. saying that they're betting at the eighth pole, but. Because I'm convinced that simulcasting is the only answer. Because people aren't going to go back to the races. It's not going to happen. But through the miracle of technology, some smart track will realize that if I can have good fields and, and somehow make, make it more affordable for serious players, that there will be a few that survive. But it's going to be there's going to be a tremendous amount of carnage. I don't think racing is going to survive in California. No, it, it's it's tough to see a, a real bright future there because, I mean, to be honest, Santa Anita doesn't really do very well from a business standpoint, and that yeah. land is worth a tremendous amount. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the elephant in the room. And the, yeah, they would love to close. Think about you know, what, you know how, how much think, are uh, you go, go throughout the country. How, how much is is the land a lot of these tracks are sitting on worth versus how much they can yeah. make? Belmont, Santa Anita. Yeah. It, it's it's Thank like, you know, when we hear about they're going to redo Pimlico in Maryland, and then, you know, people keep saying, well, they're going to rebuild the training center. They're just going to build a training center. Like, do you have any idea how much that would cost? <laughs> do you think you're going to build a training center for, like, you know, <clears throat> 50 bucks? I mean, a training center requires a racetrack, and that is going to be expensive just like it is when you're maintaining a, a rather a, you know a regular racetrack you're going to have to have barns you're going to have to have infrastructure you're going to have to have dormitories for people to live your insurance rates are going to be through the roof i mean it's an expensive proposition and, and people are like well you know we'll just we'll just build a training center and i'm thinking to myself i don't know that maryland racing makes that much money to start with yeah. and now you're going to tack on what 20 million dollars and Training centers don't make money. It's not like training centers run races. They don't make money. They're they're a, a place that horses train. There's no money in training. So how is that going to be funded? And, and you know, you, you start to think, if the track that holds one of our biggest races, a triple crown race, um, that gets, you know, uh, 
the race alone gets $50 million bet on it. And it's gets national television coverage and uh, you get you know, hundred, hundred, you get a hundred thousand people there if they do it right. And, and, and that, that, that circuit's in trouble. And you think to yourself, man, if that circuit with that anchor is in trouble, then what about all these smaller ones? And yeah, that's why I think I say we keep, <laughs> we keep Delmore, we keep Saratoga, uh, and we keep Churchill. That's it. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it work. It'll work that way. I don't think you know. I, th- I think you're basically going to be left with glorified steeplechase racing. You know, there'll be no owners. There'll be there'll be five trainers, like five owners, five trainers, five jockeys, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I love the game, so I do. It's, <laughs> it's it's not that I don't love it. It's that I, I know what it was. That's one of the joys of my book. If you love racing, it, it it's a time, you know, we would go to the turf club. You had to wear a coat and tie to get in. You, you know, it was tough to find a parking spot. It was it was an event. It, it was exciting. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you ever watch that movie, Let It Ride? Yeah, I love that. I go, as crazy as it sounds, that was what a day of racing was like. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) Um, I mean, it it was obviously, you know, being able to walk across the street to the bar and after every race. (laughs) But it it was, you know, there was people there and it was a a scene and and there, there there was a turf club and and every race was an event, and uh, um, it just, you know. Anyways, well, at least, hey, listen, we have Saratoga coming up, but we have Delmar coming up, so. Yeah, we're ready. And they're, magne- and they're magnificent. They're just we, magnificent. We, we, do ha- we do have that. Are you, you going to make a bunch of trips to Delmar? You, you take Definitely. I'll definitely. I love Delmar. It's just, it's just, it's gorgeous down there. Yeah, I was only there one time because I mean I'm a New York guy and Saratoga was always running. Uh, I did I ran a horse out there, and um, I mean I was I had never been there. I really didn't have any expectations. I mean I thought it would be nice, but I had nothing to to compare it to, and uh, and I was really blown away how how great it was and how how cool it was. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it was just a cool place, right by the ocean, and you got and the, the tr- flowing. And the turf, the turf clubs, the turf clubs like that. You can't even get into the turf club. It's private, and I didn't it's try. Packed. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a it's just a neat experience. And Sar- I love Saratoga when I go to it. It's just it's like you just turn the page and it's 1960. You know. It's, yeah. Yeah, those those places are are still fun and. You know, the, the big event days, I mean, there's a downside to them in that they take away from racing uh, in between them. Uh, people were complaining about, you know, the big tracks not racing today uh, as a holiday. But the fact of the matter is, play, like like in New York, they couldn't. They just, they just ran the Belmont Stakes Weekend Festival, right? So they not only did they use um, all, all those stake races, but they used a ton of good allowance races yeah. leading up to it. And they have the July uh, 4th, you know, their, their festival uh, with the, all the long turf races. And then they have, you know, two weeks after that, they have Saratoga. So, I mean, to run a card this Monday, um, 
I, I don't know that there would have been anything but just, you know, mediocre horses anyways. So, I mean, it's just a, it's gotten to be a tough, tough thing to keep coming up with, with quality cards. They come up with cards, but they're not necessarily quality. Like you see at Santa Anita, a lot of times, you know, the first three or four races or five horse races, even you know, five horse, $10,000 claimers are just not that compelling. No, absolutely. But, um, but like I said, we're, we're good. We're, we're going to end the show on a high note because we do have Saratoga coming up. And yes. Yes. You have Delmar coming up. Um, we have Kentucky Downs after that. I know people are, are pissed off a bit because they raised takeout 1%. But, um, and PA Derby Day, don't forget that. PA Derby Day, the sixth most important 3-0 race of the year. Uh, can you believe people gave me crap about that last year? Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have to hear about, oh my God, they have a one announcer. Like, uh, you know, like that affects your handicapping. Um, (laughs) believe me it doesn't matter who's calling the races when my horses hit the top of the stretch and start going backwards it doesn't matter man. (laughs) no you don't hear a word they say after that point no they stop calling them yeah it is the best time best time of year for racing those those tracks are are truly amazing and they're fun to go to it is I, i could go every day during those meets and be in heaven uh, so, so your book is called um, the, the greatest the greatest gambling story ever told. Greatest gambling story ever told. It's on Amazon, I'm sure. It says on Amazon. Uh, you might enjoy going to my uh, author website, which is markpaulauthor.com. There's a lot of photos. Everything about the book is there, and it was recently featured on a really cool uh, podcast from NPR called Winning Colors. the The NPR show is called Snap Judgment, and Barry, believe it or not, they get four to five million listeners per show wow. for that oh, wow. show. And it was really cool. I've been on a lot of podcasts, and what they do for that show is they score it with you know professional music. And then they also, when the races are being recreated in the podcast, they actually get the actual, you know, Trevor Denman race replays are 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 spliced into the podcast. They really do a great job. So that's kind of tool kind of cool and that's that's free for people to listen to too so thank you for thank you for letting me to come on and love to talk to you uh, uh more about uh half-baked ideas to save horse racing anytime my friend uh we appreciate your time and and uh listen i mean we need ideas half-baked or otherwise yeah and maybe we'll get a movie out of this i'll, I'll let you know about that you guys uh, uh who will you be wearing to the premiere barry oh uh definitely tux. <laughs> definitely tuxedo. Uh, uh, yeah, Get but me in a monkey who, suit. <laughs> in LA, it's who you will wear, not what you will wear. Oh, who? who oh, jeez. You St. Laurent or, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. We're, go- we're going with the Giorgio Armani. I'll, pr- I'll, okay, probably, baby. I'll, I'll probably wear champion. <laughs> uh, I look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Mark. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. That was Mark Paul. Mark, who check out his book. Barry, Barry has his book. Yes, I do. And I've read it. It's very good. It's a great story. It would be a great movie. Hopefully, uh you can make that connection and get it done. That'd be that'd be fantastic. 
it would be really cool if they they had a movie on it. I'm sure they'll make it a um a based upon, you know. So true events can... like based upon yeah. a true story. Yeah. yeah. They, so they give a little little Hollywood magic, sprinkle some Yeah, you got you got to you got to spice it up, you know, they want to spice up the they have the cartel like, you know, bring them out to the desert and stuff. Right, it'd be so... like Fast 5, right? Like, <laughs> you know, just put that twist on it and then it goes a different direction. But yeah, man. You know, it, it, honestly, it, it's really crazy because uh, during that era, I, I should have actually brought it up when when, when Mark was on. Uh, I didn't even think of it, but that's when I was at the University of Arizona and we used to drive to Nogales <laughs> about an hour south of Tucson and there was a little OTB. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't know who owned it, but that same outfit probably did. I was going to say, they probably monopolized that market. Yeah. The, we, we weren't betting 25000 we, we were We were collecting cans to bet $20. <laughs> we, were, we were poor people. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that, that, was that, that, same, uh, that same time frame. I don't know how safe it is to, to go. Uh, down that corridor anymore but oof yeah i wouldn't try it <laughs> yeah it was it was uh it was it was a good time man you might catch a, a, a trafficking case they they <laughs> used to uh they used to pirate the signal from where uh, from from the satellite dishes they just just have one of those like random Satellite dishes, like you know, people sometimes you you'll see them in people's backyards. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and and they would go out sometimes in between races. Oof. Um, so we wouldn't know the results of the race sometimes for a while after the after the race has already been run. We didn't have cell phones, we didn't have computers, and uh, it just was a different world. <laughs> yeah, remember when OTBs they didn't even show races; it was, they no. just show results. <laughs> yeah, they just flashed the result up there, and wow, that was uh, used to to bet using letters. New York OTV man, they made those places like one step up from the gulag. No <laughs> bathrooms, no no food, no. Yeah, drinks. Some of them are really like just functional, smoke filled. Like well, I'm, I'm sure we could get a class action against the uh, the, the smoke inhalation. Most places have half the people in them are well, more than half are probably dead by now. But back in the day, that was the only way my ex girlfriend would know that I was at the track is because I'd smell like smoke. Yeah, my mom got me several times. She busted me on that. I know where you've been. I smell, <laughs> I smell the smoke on you. The good old days. Well, they're not coming back, but we have to we have to salvage what we have. Yes. So and this weekend we have the Ohio Derby. That's right. We start the salvaging with two fills going to the winner circle. Two fillies. Little Larry, Larry Ravelli. Did you did you see uh Love Bear's kicks the customs yeah those things are hot and 
wonder what that guy charges for those. I don't know. It's got to be a pretty penny because those those are tough. Yeah, that was really those were really nice. Those were nice. Uh, you got any other words of wisdom? Yeah. Okay. Don't get struck by lightning because it's coming down here in uh, Daytona. Is it raining? Yeah. Surprised you didn't hear the the the, the lightning and thunder. I thought that was uh, breezy. No, that was that was outside. <laughs> Sounded like lightning struck at the end of my street, but I'm not gonna go out to find out. <laughs> nah, man, you don't want to do that. I'm good. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So, uh, all right, now. By the time we're back on the air, the NBA draft will already have taken place. So I'm gonna, I want, I want to ask you two predictions. Okay, okay. Give me two predictions here. Two. A. Does Daimler get traded? No, he does not. Does not get traded. You're saying he's going to stay with Portland. Staying in Portland. All right. Do you think they'll trade that pick? No. You think that Portland will make the pick? They will make the pick. They will make the pick. Okay. I I, I don't disagree, but it's uh, – I think something crazy is about to happen, though. Oh, yeah. I really don't know what it is. On the verge of happening. It just feels like something is brewing and something's going to happen. Uh, I think the teams are, are, are nervous about the new – collect a bargaining agreement and how it it penalizes teams with uh, huge contracts. Yeah. I mean, we basically saw Washington more or less give away their best player. No, you had it right. They gave him away. Because they didn't want to pay him and they didn't want to be tied in and he didn't want to be there anymore. And it was convenient that, of course, Phoenix is uh, – one of the, the executives of Phoenix is the father of his agent. Um, but they traded him for spare parts. Peanuts. Spare parts. And it's, it's kind of, to me, signals that, that they're going to... They're going to mail it in already. This is just tank city. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> tanking. They're, they're, on a, the, they're, a, they're a brigade of tanks. In Washington right now, imagine tanking six months before the season starts. <laughs> well, they tried last year and it still finished. Like I know, though. So, I mean, it's the right move. It's just kind of shocking how little they got. And I know that guy had a no trade clause, so he could have blocked. You know, he could have blocked a trade anywhere that he didn't want to go. But um, I, I don't know. It's it just seems like things are going to change because the. Uh, the penalties for being over the second apron of the salary cap, which sounds complicated, but essentially too much money you have signed. What teams have been doing is just paying the, the, the penalty uh, like golden state. If I think they have like $18 million, they can sign Draymond green for and anything over that. They're gonna have to pay a tax for each for each million dollars over that they pay seven million in tax. That's ridiculous. So, so some of the the the, the 
the tax bills are just outrageously high. And now what they're going to do is not only are they going to continue to tax them, um, but they're going to restrict what they can do about signing other players and, and severely restrict it where they're not even allowed to be involved in the buyout market, which is how a lot of these teams. Right. How they get their superstars. Yeah. Well that, and how, how they fill out the rosters at the end of the year when they get, you know, a guy, an older guy uh, looking to try to get a ring. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a viable way of getting talent, without having to pay for very much for it. Right. That's how, that's how the Celtics got Horford back. Yeah. And, and they're telling him basically you can't even do that. So you're going to see a lot of, a lot of decisions that are made because of money, not because of, of talent. And uh, I think that was the first domino to drop. And, you know, I, th- I think what you're going to see is, as a lot of guys that aren't all NBA level, just not getting the, the same size contract. Now, they're still going to get big contracts. They're still going to make a lot of money. And the best guys are still going to make the, the top money. But I think the mid-tier guys are going to get hurt. They're, they're going to get hurt. Well, you know, hurt in that they might have to take $18 million a year instead of instead 26 of Yeah, exactly. Which isn't exactly a huge sacrifice. But um, it's it's still, it's uh, it will affect things, put it that way. And, yeah, and I think it definitely will. Teams like like Denver uh, and Denver's kind of a unique case because it isn't exactly like they're not paying their, their second tier guys because they are. Yeah. Because uh, Gordon's making uh, Gordon and Porter both make, make big money. They, they were signed to extensions and then they're making good, really, really good money. But when you look at how the team was built kind of more organically and it's two best players, um, were both drafted by them, and Porter was drafted by them. And, you know, Gordon, they got in a trade, but they didn't give up a whole hell of a lot for no, him. And really, they bought him at, 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 you know, they bought low on him, and uh, they brought Caldwell Pope in. They, they gave up some decent guys for him, but I know, the guys they gave up didn't fit the role that he fits. And, you know, they, they built a team. But of course, it's a lot easier when you have a guy like, like, uh, like Joker. Joker in the middle. I mean, everything look easy. Right. That that's that's something that you can't just replicate. It was funny. I, I saw a story the other day. It's like, is you know, is this the new way? It's like, yeah. If you get another one of him, and they come around, <laughs> around like every twenty years, you know. So good luck. But um, but the team aspect of of finding guys that fit roles. I think it's going to be important. I, I don't, you're not yeah, going to see gonna, those. It's going to expose a lot of GMs that don't know shit about anything. Yeah. You, you're going to see, you're not going to see those, um, those super teams anymore because teams will be completely crippled. Right. Can't and and it's, it, it's why the move that, that Phoenix made is, is super risky, super risky. And that they're just tied up so badly. <laughs> Anything that involves Kevin Durant ends up being risky. So there's that. Kevin Durant is is not young. No, and that's he, what I'm saying. At this point, it's like, well, he is what he is. He can't get any better, right? No, right, right. He can only get worse. Exactly. And he can only get can only be missed games. You know, Beal's averaged fifty games a year, 
over the last four years. <laughs> That's not good either. <laughs> no, it's an 80-game schedule. He's averaging 50. So to think that, you know, what Denver just played, uh, 20. Denver played 20 in the postseason. Um, and they swept, uh, you know, the Lakers. They only played four in Lakers, and they only played five against the Heat. So to think that a guy like Beal uh, is going to come in and and play – 75 games and then play another 20, 22, 24 games in the postseason. So you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to get him to a hundred games. You can't even get him to 50. So, right. It's so wild that, that GMs think that they can reverse that trend. <laughs> no. And, the, and the, the whole thing smelled like a new, you know, new owner guy comes in, wants to do stuff. Cause I mean, when the guy bought the team, Kevin Durant wasn't on the team and, and Bradley Beal wasn't on the team and they've given away pretty much everything they have um, outside of Booker and Aiton, who they don't really want either. Right. So, he wasn't in good standing. No, it, it's, it's, it's a very strange situation and I don't think it's going to be successful, but. I mean, it could be, you know, if they play together a lot, but it just doesn't seem like that is ever going to happen between Booker, Durant, and Beal, they're usually injured a lot. Those three just hurt. Yeah, right. Booker's not exactly a guy that, you know, he's he's had his, his share of injuries. And a lot of times it's just fluky things, but still. Yeah, it was hamstring, I think, this year, or, or groin. Injury. They don't have any any leeway. I mean, they're no, backups. No, you lose one of those guys, the backups are horrible. That's mean. The, the drop-off between the starters and the backups is so great that – I mean, even if all right, say say they do move Aiton because they want to get some some salary cap flexibility and get a couple guys back for him, they're still going to have a huge Jokic problem. <laughs> I mean, um, Aiton was hurt in the series, and they played Landale, who who you know did okay against them, but the one game he got in foul trouble, and they brought Biombo in. And, Oh my! It was it was a total disaster. It, it was it was a total disaster. Remember, he was he was like minus twenty nine. Yeah, seven minutes. He's still getting flack for that, which he should, because he really didn't try to be minus twenty nine. He didn't try. In, that's that's all. That essentially is. less than a quarter, about a half of a quarter. I mean, try. that's like that's no that's like zero effort. That's how that happens. You give zero effort, you get that. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. And even the Lakers, you know, talking about signing Chris Paul. Well, <laughs> Why would they do that? They're getting the 2023 version of Chris Paul. They're right. not getting the 2013 they need the, version the of Chris Paul. 2000 whatever. Chris they need the, 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 the hot tub time machine. Yeah. They need... And he, he, he hasn't exactly been a, uh, um, uh, a source of... Uh, <laughs> of of health, I no. Mean, he's hurt all the time too. So I mean, it's the Lakers are on their last legs, and LeBron is just not able to carry teams like he used to because you know he's thirty nine, going to be thirty nine years old. Right, he needs and some Anthony, help, man. Anthony Davis is great the days he decides to show up, and he's not so great that the other days he doesn't decide to show. He's up. really not great when he doesn't show. No, up. he's he's. Very average, if not below average. <laughs> I think they lost that series to 
Denver. They probably were going to lose the series anyways. Mm. But I think the reason, and this is this is probably stupid, but I'm going to say it anyways. But the second game when Davis, because um, Davis played real good in the first game. Yeah, he did. In the second game, he was guarding Jokic in the uh, late third or early fourth. And he had him. He had him. He was, he didn't have a, he picked up his dribble. He was 35 feet from the basket. Mm. He had nowhere to go, nowhere to pass it to. And he shot a fadeaway three and hit nothing but net. I remember Davis just looked at him like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like how? (laughs) And it was like, I did everything humanly possible. I did everything perfectly right. Exactly what you would want to do. And the freaking guy scored anyways. I can and tell you. It was like he didn't he was checked out the rest of the series. Yeah. He never really from that logically point on, damaged. Yeah. From that point on, he, he just wasn't he wasn't the same. And I don't know if he who knows? You know, sometimes these guys tweak their ankles. You can't tell me Jimmy Butler nah. wasn't hurt the last uh yeah. series and a half because he he, he had plays where he could barely dunk. Jimmy's about six foot eight, right? With with hops and and all, and all he couldn't he couldn't you know he couldn't jump. He was hobbling around, and he said his ankle wasn't bothering, but I think that's a lie. I can tell you, that's one a lie. most deflating things in basketball is just like you described. When you do everything defensively, you get in front of the guy, you get in his face, and he still makes the bucket, and it's like, what the fuck? else can i do no believe me I, I i was there a couple times in my career that's one of the things when when i forayed into professional basketball i had to be okay with that <laughs> you know what i mean no no right everybody so, can score you know literally everybody can just put the ball in the basket one way or another and there's just you know there's there's only so much you can do sometimes and they're still gonna make the bucket yeah, that's true, man. I played against some guys who were just in the same category. It didn't matter what you did. You hoped they missed because there was nothing you could do to prevent them from scoring. <laughs> Such the a... only way that they weren't going to score is that they missed. Such and, a bad know, feeling, and you're like, yeah, it's oh. a terrible feeling. It's a, it's an absolutely terrible feeling. But uh, stop this fucking guy. You know, excuse my French, but that's literally stuff that I would use. I used to say under my breath. Yeah. During games, just like I can't, I can't, I, I don't even know what else to do. And then I'd call for a double team or something and try to get somebody else. I need help. This guy's killing me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true, man. There's all, there's always someone better than you until you get to like, you know, until you get to the Joker. You can't stop that guy. It's, it's. He just he has, an, he has incredible touch. He does. He's soft touch, you know, passing and shooting. Usually, yeah, his pa- get both. His passing is is just beyond. Usually, you don't get both. You'll get one my the other, said, but not said, both. You know, I never really saw Bill Walton play when I mean, I remember when he played for the Celtics, and he was kind of just old and broke yeah, down and waving was, a towel. Yeah. I go, but he was, you know, supposedly a great passing center. I said, not like that. Not I said, like but I said, you know, what, he goes, no, nah, he goes, no, nah, you. He, he was, he wasn't. He was. He was a great outlet passer. He said he would get the ball. He, you could you could run the post through. Right, him. you start you could to run break. a high post, but he goes. He wasn't like Joker. Joker's like a guard. 
Oh, it's amazing though the guy, and, and he doesn't look like, um, you know, you, you look at him, and he doesn't look like a guy that's that no, fast look, or that quick or that strong. Outside of his his abilities, I mean, you know, too- you see some guys they 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 try to play, let's say, bigger or faster or in a different way to kind of overextend themselves. He plays within himself. And gets everybody else involved. That's why he's so effective, and he has weapons. You know, and it's not just him scoring. I mean, he does a whole lot of things. I mean, it, it, he's terrific. And and now he's got to be a, a deadly three point shooter. Right, he hits threes. <laughs> I mean, how can you stop anything he does? <laughs> it's it's uh, sick. it's sick. It, it really is. And he, and, and he weighs two hundred eighty five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a video game guy. Oh, it's it's uh, it's nuts, man. And and Jamal Murray, I mean, he played great. He he overcame the the, the jinx, the sports pick girl jinx. Yeah, he, I mean, he he he's a great compliment to yeah. what Joker brings to the table, and and I think that kind of drives that whole team because Aaron Gordon ain't that good. Eric Gordon is, Look, is very good on that team because yeah he yeah he's a he's a great complimentary player who, right he who fits, kind of fits in the gaps mm-hmm. you know he's not a type of guy that you know he's going to be the focus of your offense no he's not the guy he's not a great they shooter. tried that in doesn't Orlando create, and it didn't work. he doesn't create much with the ball he's not a great passer but he's a great athlete he can guard you know most all sorts of players he's yeah. strong and you know you put him in the in the low post, and you throw the ball up, he's going to go get it. And... You know, he reminds me of, in a way, is Rick Fox. Yeah, he's like a big Where Rick he kind of does a, a whole bunch of things okay, but you get him in the right on the right team, and he's going to be really effective. And I think that's what happened. Yeah, that's Bird. exactly they, what happened. They, they scoped him out, and they, they figured out they had a role for him. And you know what's scary about Denver is, is that the Porter didn't even play good. No, Porter. He didn't shoot well at all. No. And, I mean, they essentially have their whole team coming back. And, I mean, it's possible that they could work out some kind of deal with Bruce Brown where he gets underpaid for this next year. And then he, he gets know, the, they, they try to repeat. The and then he'd be, in, uh, you know, he could, he could, you know, the, the following year. Right. But, they, I mean, he was, he was a great, uh, you know, pickup for, for, basically nothing um you know to come off the bench play defense and he you know he's a good rebounder for a small guy he can hit a shot he can go to the basket he's a good foul shooter a good defender i mean those are the type of guys that are just good players that that just fit in their role they know what they're they're supposed to do and 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 I think what you said about Joker's right is that he fits in with everybody because he he does everything well and you know he's looking to get everybody else involved. Just, he is the weapon. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's, it's it's a team that, that there's no reason why if they stay healthy they they can't be just as good. And even the guy they they drafted the, the, the from Kansas, Braun. I mean that guy played great. I mean, right, he played really good. They didn't ask him to do too much. I mean, the last two games against the Lakers, they didn't play him at all because there was no role for him against L.A. Because L.A.'s guys were either too big um, or the, it just it, it, the situation called for, for a different skill set. But, I mean, he's, he's a 
a good player too. I mean, when you draft guys and you think most of that team is drafted, you know, or, or just kind of under the radar pickups like Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, guys that can come in and give you good minutes uh, and not screw up. I mean, basically, that's that's what you need out of those. Guys. Yeah, I mean, just think of the other team in the finals, though. Miami, they yeah. they kind of did the same thing. Yeah, they just didn't have Jokic. Right. That's that was the difference. Yeah. <laughs> that was the major difference. <laughs> that was that was why they were, uh, you know, one game from getting swept. And and uh, you know, I I don't know. They you you don't really know what the truth about the reports are, but now there's reports saying that that Miami really didn't make a big offer for Beal, that they were very concerned about uh, about getting about getting handcuffed. Yeah, I, I don't blame them. I mean, that's not the kind of guy you would want to get handcuffed to anyway. No. So no, I, I don't I, think I he's get a it. difference maker. You put him on the court against Denver, and yeah, he's a good player. He's a real Right, player. he'll help, but he wasn't going to help and, and I think a lot of like, any of those games. I think a lot of people that don't follow the NBA don't understand how good Bradley Beal is. He's really good. Very good. <laughs> he's like a he's like a, a Jimmy Butler type scoring level good. I mean, he's probably a better shooter than Jimmy Butler. He's probably not as good going to the hole, but I mean, he's he's on that par. This guy scored thirty points a game two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> you know, scoring thirty points a game in the NBA with six assists is like you, you are great elite player yeah yeah, you're you're Um, in a good company there but he's not a great defensive player and he's not a point guard and i don't know that that he would have been able to really make a big difference because he doesn't really cure what ails them you know i mean they had great well they they sort of he sort of could he to me would be more of a consistent go-to guy Besides Jimmy, well, but be you don't need that in another guard. That's but what that team doesn't need. Gonna, they got too many guards as it is. You're and... going to replace Gabe Vincent. You're going to replace right. Duncan Robinson because he would have probably had to be in the deal. And you're going to replace you're replacing shooters with right. a shooter. Is he a better shooter than those guys? Yes, but he's also a guy that makes fifty million dollars a year. So the aggregate of those other guys, who um. You know, Vincent is is a point guard, and and Beal really isn't. So you you know the aggregate of, of three guys of Strauss, um, Vincent, Martin. and and and, and um, Martin, Martin, One of the Martins. They, they make <laughs> they they make a a quarter of what the guy makes. Right. That's that's the thing, and and people don't realize or understand that you know that goes into the the shopping. You know, you you don't want to pay one guy what you could get for three, right? In different forms. I mean, you know, you you basically have your your point guard, two guard, swing forward, right? And that's why price the, of one Bradley Beal, and that's so, the difference between him and Lillard. Is Lillard is a point guard? Yep. And if they could get Lillard, that's who they should try to get. I mean, they think they would handcuff themselves because he, he is a different type of player. Um, you know, he's, he's a unique player. Uh, you know, Beal is redundant on that roster and Lillard is not. Right. I, I think Pat Riley kind of 
figured that out. Yeah. I, now, I don't know if Lillard's going to go, like you said. I, I don't think he'll get traded. I don't I think, think he's think going he, anywhere. I think he's going to stay in Portland. I don't think he has any intention of leaving, period. Nah, I think it's all performative. Yeah, so. We'll see, though, in, in next week. <laughs> I don't know. The, yeah, this yeah. week. He can't officially be traded until July 9th, but they can trade him. You know, they can just make it pending July 9th. But you would think if they were going to do it, they would do it before the draft. But, right. Um, I mean, they have a valuable chip. I mean, they have the third pick. Third pick is you know, a, a third pick in a in a in a, a top three heavy draft. So, I, I thought it was funny. Now that this week, all all the anti uh, all the anti Wemby people have come out of the woodwork. <laughs> he's yeah, not going to be an all-star next year. Yeah, no shit. No he's kidding. 19. He's 19 <laughs> years old. He's, he's he's from a foreign country. You know, like, <laughs> hello. He also has an eight-foot wingspan. <laughs> well, they want him to win championships from the jump and win every championship yeah, until and, he and retires. He'll win championships so. if he's on the right team. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the thing that people forget: the championships are not an individual; they're 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 they are a team's win. There's no player who's ever won a, a championship with him and and five other bad guys. Never happened, ever. Never. Zero. Nobody did it. So, Will Chamberlain was scoring fifty points a game, and and he couldn't do it. He couldn't come close to doing it. So, you know, it's just. Uh, I just think it's funny that people are saying, oh, well, you know, he needs to bulk up. He's 235 pounds. <laughs> he's not he's bulking he's not up all right. Yeah, he's growing taller. That's the problem. Yeah, you, 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 don't, you don't want it to be too heavy. Right, I then mean, you end up with somebody like, you know, Yao Ming who got hurt. Yeah, right. Problems, stuff like that. So, And, I mean, that, that's a real thing. I mean, I, I, I think that that is something that, I mean, it's it's nebulous. You can't tell if if the guy's going to never have an injury or if he's going to get hurt right off the bat or, or what's going to happen. But, I mean, it is an issue, and, and that's been the problem. I mean, you talk about Bill Walton. That was Bill Walton's problem, feet. Um, you know, like you said, Yao Ming, another guy, an oversized guy who's – Sean Bradley. Didn't hold up. Right. Yeah. Always. So, yeah. all those guys, over, once you get over – Good chat. Like seven, two – Seven three. That's when you know the lower extremity issues start to happen. We gotta we gotta have a big year out of Chet though because I Chet. I, we need Chet. I, I traded you know I traded for Chet. No, you did the you did the right thing. Tanks for the future. That's right. Now I gotta redraft my future after finishing second. So you put a big run in though. I did. You're like the Heat. You kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> no one was expecting you. Next thing you know. Because it's because my guys got hurt at the right time. They got hurt right right before the All-Star break and kind of lingered a little bit after, but that was perfect timing. Because I'm going to try, try not to run a MASH unit again like I did last year. Oh, man. Now the year before was a debacle with the COVID stuff, and yeah, yeah, was, that was hard. Last year, I just drafted. I just had a bunch of guys that got hurt. 
including yeah. Beal. The whole team was COVID. Like, they'd come off COVID, go back on it. It was ridiculous. I just had enough. Couldn't get a win. Enough is enough. Yes. Well, it's been real. Mm. As usual. We got our guy, Mark Paul, on the, on, on this episode, which is great. That's right. Half-brother to Sean Paul. That's right. No rapping done. Man, if he would have just started singing reggae, would have made my <laughs> night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's looking rainy this weekend in Saratoga. Friday, Uh-oh. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. All potential rain days. Well, get them out of the system now. I know. Sure. I was going to say, I, I hope this is not a not a, a thing. It hasn't really rained much this summer, so I, I hope that uh, we don't wind up with a with a wet meet. That wouldn't be much fun. Nah. Last year was perfect. Like, Yeah. Yeah, last year. Closing day. Poured all poured rain. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> poured rain that day, but uh, no, it was pretty. We got we got lucky with the weather last year. So hopefully the hopefully we get you know rain now and get the turf courses nice and nice and lush and uh, have a big meet. That's what's up. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk and. Uh, Everyone made it this far. You guys are the real MVPs. True that. Not Kevin Durant's mom. Nope. So. She doesn't listen to our show. She does not. Unfortunately for her. No. Nope, she does not. But. uh, The Knicks don't have a pick Thursday. (laughs) Boo. I'm hoping they trade in and make a pick just so I'll have something to pay attention to. Yeah, the magic the magic have two picks, so maybe they can maybe maybe we get ship Franz to to New York City. Franz and Hans. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Hey, if you haven't done it already, it's time. For you to sign up for the Going in Circles Digest, go to www.goingincirclesdigest.substack.com and click on the link to subscribe for free for the latest in stakes previews and stories and all kinds of other assorted nonsense. And I even put up some cool videos every once in a while for uh, historic purposes. Anyways, check it out. Going in circles, digest.substack.com. It's free. It should be for you.